1, 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. If you don't know where 2 Thessalonians is, it's what? It's right after 1 Thessalonians, and it's right before 1 Timothy, okay? So you can be able to go and find that. Uh, y'all say that, and that was such a poor, poor, poor sportsmanship. Y'all, y'all say that like you're tired of my jokes, and I know that you're really not. I know that you're really not, you know, yes, we know, right after 1 Thessalonians. But look at 2 Thessalonians, verse number 1. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Tonight we're going to just really go kind of verse through verse through verse because I want to be able to do this. I hope some of this stuff helps you. I love it when you bring your Bible. I think that if you're coming to church, you should bring your Bible because I love for you to write in your Bible. Listen, people go, I don't want to write in my Bible. You can write in that thing all you want and then go buy another when, when you fill it up. And, uh, and you know what you can do with the, the one that you wrote it? You can give it to somebody, man. You can give it to your kids or your grandkids or, or some person, you know, anybody you want. But I, I like putting the scriptures up here because whenever I'm talking about certain words, I want you to see those words that we're looking at. And first thing I want you to see is that Paul is, is being moved. He's being moved by the Holy Spirit of God. We know that he's always been moved by the Spirit to write these things. But look at what he says, first of all, that word beseech. It means that we're, we're beckoning, we're pleading, we're, we're asking you to please pay attention to this. And he's, he's saying, I beseech you to listen to me. He's trying to get the attention. It's almost like Jesus when he said, Simon, Simon. Or it's almost like your mom when she called you by your first and middle name and rolled them all together. And they're trying to get your attention. Now, most of us, when we got called by our first and middle name, it was because we were doing something wrong and we were in trouble. But the Lord is not getting on to the people at Thessalonica. He is trying to get their attention. And he says, I beseech you. And what's happened is in the first book of Thessalonians, in the first letter, all those chapters, I think there was five chapters that were there, looking at first Thessalonians, it was all about the rapture of the church. Paul was teaching them about the pre-tribulation. He was teaching them that, look, you would be raptured out of here. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then he talked about all this other stuff that would happen, the hour of wrath, but that God has delivered us from the hour of wrath. But in between this short amount of time, and it was only months that the first Thessalonian letter was written and then the second Thessalonians letter was written. It was only months in between that, but people came in and started deceiving. There were false teachers that were coming into Thessalonica that were deceiving all of the believers, and they were trying to convince the believers that the rapture had somehow taken taken place, but what their main emphasis was, they were saying, we're living in the days of tribulation now. But it wasn't the days of tribulation. It was days that had tribulation with a lowercase t, but not the great tribulation. But the false teachers began to preach and teach them about going through the tribulation. But listen, Jesus described it as a day that would never have been before or until the end of the earth. It's a day like never was before. The great tribulation was talking about that things would happen and all this stuff would appear and all these things would take place and prophecy would happen. And so the people began to get moved and they began to get stirred up. But look at what Paul says, I beseech you, look at who he's talking to, brethren. And when he's talking to the brethren, church, and understand, ladies, don't take offense to it. When he was talking to the brethren, he was talking about to the body. He's talking about to the body of Christ, both brothers and sisters in Christ, all the children of God. And when you look at how Paul addressed this and you look at how God called the church, he called it his bride. It was always in a a feminine way and called it the bride. And and even in the book of Revelation, we'll talk about later where the word church and uh, is out in the wilderness and is on the back of the beast and all that. Religion was always known as that feminine pronoun. But when he talks about the brethren, talks about the believers, he's talking about people who have accepted Christ as their Savior. And so he says, listen to me, church, is what that means. I beseech you, brethren, listen to me, please, I'm pleading with you, church. About what? Paul says, I need to talk to you specifically about two things. The first thing that I want to talk to you about, number one, is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I need, listen, I thought that we've already discussed these things, but I need to go evidently in some more detail with you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you look at that word there that talks about the coming, it's the word that is, uh, it, it is the word parousia, and it means this, it means the presence. It's used like 31 different times in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament. Two times it's used as what? It's used as just the word presence. But all the other times it's used as the coming of Christ. The coming of Christ, when Christ comes, when his presence is there. And what it means is this. It doesn't mean when something mythical happens and all this stuff dissolves and we kind of just 
sporadically we just go up and all. That's not what it's talking about. It says that when the rapture takes place, we will see his presence, Brother David, in the clouds, in the sky. We will be drawn up to come near to his presence, and we will ever be with the Lord, the Bible says. So what it's teaching us is that word that says the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is that, look, he comes in presence, but then that parousia or whatever the word, which talks about the Greek word parousia, and it means it means that what? We come near. The Bible says when he comes, we're going near to him. So Paul's trying to help these people out, trying to say, hey, look, I know there are some that are telling you that the tribulation has already happened and that we're, I mean, the rapture's already happened and the tribulation is happening now and all this stuff's going on. He said, but I need to remind you at the coming of the Lord Jesus that it's not just his presence that we'll see, but it's his presence that we will draw near to, amen? And we will not just be looking at his presence, we will forever be in his presence, amen? And so he says the second thing, and this is what gathers those words together, talking about his presence and the gathering together. It takes those two Greek words and it puts them together. His coming and our gathering. His coming and our gathering. The rapture is not a day of wrath. The rapture of the church is not something that people go, well, it was made up in the 1800s. No, it wasn't. The rapture was written when Paul wrote the, wrote the words down, amen. The rapture was placed in there, not, not just kind of some concept that we go, okay, well, it didn't happen until uh, uh, C.S., uh, what is his name, uh, uh, Schofield, you know, uh, wrote the book, and then they had this dispensationalism, and they call, everybody gets called a name. Anybody been called a name before? You know, and I don't like to be called names. People want to say, well, you know, people, if you're, if you're not Calvinist, then you're an Arminius. You've got to be something. You've got to be one or the other. I'd prefer to be called a Christian. I'd prefer to be called a child of God. I'd prefer that before being called Baptist, okay, because I'm a child of God before I'm anything else. But they call these people, they call them a dispensationalist. And they say that dispensationalism didn't really happen until the 1800s. And that the rapture of the church was something that wasn't even talked about in the first church. You know why? Because it was something they were struggling with. It was something that they struggled at. And Paul wrote letters to the people of Thessalonica to share with them, I want you to know, church, I beseech you, I plead with you to understand about the coming of Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. When he comes for the church, he's not taking off his belt or ruling with a rod of iron and breaking the vessels. When he comes for the church, we're going up together to be with him, amen? Look at the second verse. The Bible says, I don't want you to be soon shaken in mind or to be troubled by a spirit or by word or by letter as from us as at the day of Christ is." hand. The words that stick out in that scripture as you're underlining them or highlighting them in your Bible is that God says, look, I beseech you, church, I'm asking you to listen to me, church, about the coming of Jesus and the gathering together of us, putting us together. He said, when you think of that, listen to these words, when you think of those two things, you as a brother and sister in Christ should not be shaken. The book of Revelation should not disturb you and shake you to where you're in fear of if you're going to go to heaven or not. The book of Revelation should be as a stamp of, man, I know I'm going, and also this. God, it convicts me because I need to go out and tell others that they don't need to go through this. A horrible thing. It shouldn't be something where we go, oh, no, it scares us. And that's what Paul was saying. Paul said, God has told you that believe that you would be with the Father. You would be with Jesus, and you would be with the Father. And he says, you need to hold on to those things. And what he's saying is, is why in the world are you letting your foundation be shaken? Why are you letting these false teachers, when you've heard the truth, why are you letting false teachers come in and try to convince you that the tribulation period is going on now? So listen for one moment, okay? A lot of people say that, are you a pre-trib, Brother Steve? Are you a mid-trib, or are you a post-trib? Now, some of y'all don't know what that is. Some of y'all are going, I have no idea what this guy is talking about. I don't even know what trib means, okay? Trib is tribulation. There are people in this world that believe what's called a pre-tribulation, okay? And what that means is, is that God will call the church out of this earth, then the tribulation period will happen for seven years. After that is finished, God will have 1,000 years of rain on this earth the way he intended it to be from the Garden of Eden, that it would be a place of peace and a place of rest, and that the lion would lay down by the lamb and all of that stuff, right? 
Then there are others that believe that you're going to be here during the tribulation, but you, as a believer, would only be here the first half, and in the mid, middle of the tribulation, then you would be raptured, because it talks about people being resurrected at that point, or talks about dead bodies that would rise, and then they say, when that ends, then the millennial reign will happen. If you look at that, you're misunderstanding the scripture because those that are going to the Lord in the middle of the tribulation are those who have washed their uh, robes in the blood of the Lamb, and that is the martyrs that have been martyred and killed, those that died believing Christ in the middle of the tribulation. They're going to be going out of here, not the church. The church believes on Jesus, what he did at the cross now, and will be out. Then there's people that say that they're the post-tribulation people, that all of the church is going to go through the whole tribulation, and then at the end of it all, then the church will be raptured out, and then we'll have the millennial reign and do all these things. The reason that those other things don't really go, except for pre-tribulation, the reason they don't flow with Scripture, number one is because of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. You'll not find any more information about the rapture than in 1 Thessalonians. You'll not find any more information about the tribulation and the Antichrist being called the Antichrist than in 2 Thessalonians. Okay? When you look at the scripture, people say, well, all right, Brother Steve, what do you think that we would do? The Bible tells us we are people that are a pre-tribulation people because God says he will call the church out of here. Seven years will be for Israel and for thy city and thy holy people and then the thousand years of millennial reign. God says also in the book of Thessalonians that he has delivered us from the hour of wrath which is to come. He says you are no longer in darkness, but you are children of the light so therefore walk in the light and what that means is is that since we are no longer children of darkness but children of light and we are delivered from the wrath that is to come then therefore before the wrath of the tribulation comes God is going to send his son Jesus in the clouds take us out of here and we're going to go and have seven years as a marriage supper of the lamb of God we'll have the marriage supper of the lamb all in heaven we're going to be rejoicing having a good feast together and all that but on earth there's going to be such tribulation that never was. And then the Bible says in Revelation 19, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I like it, but Revelation 19, it says that Jesus will come back riding a white horse. His name is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is called the word of God. A sharp sword will protrude out of his mouth. His vesture, his garment is dipped in blood. And it says, and the armies of heaven are riding behind him dressed in white linen, which would be us is, amen. It's going to be us coming back with him because he said what? You will rule and reign with me as kings and priests. And so the Bible teaches us these things. And if you look at this scripture, hopefully you can understand what has been preached by Paul. And I tried to condense it all in just that one moment. Hopefully you understand. Paul says, you're shaken. So when you look at that, you got to think in your heart, okay, Brother Steve, well, why, the, why were these people shaken in their mind? Why were they stirred up because look he says don't be shaken in mind or be troubled he says don't do it by if a spirit or by word or by letter or from us or that about the day of Christ and how it is at hand he said that this church at Thessalonica was so shaken now listen to me if a false prophet was coming in are everybody with me false prophet comes in who would like to be the false prophet tonight but the false prophet comes in and they began to say the tribulation that Brother Steve is speaking about is happening right now. Then to a believer that understands rapture and how God's going to take them out, then in that believer's mind, then they will say, we will be enduring such hardship, but if the rapture is in the middle of it all or the rapture is at the end of it all, then therefore why should we worry and why should we fear? We should rejoice because time is about to be ended and everything is over with. But these people were stirred up and they were shaken. Why? Because they understood the concept of the pre-tribulation that Paul preached to them and they were shaken in their hearts and shaken in their minds because why? Because if that false prophet was right and the tribulation has happened, what happened to those people? They've missed the train of the rapture. They've missed the rapture and they didn't have their bus ticket and they weren't out there and in line. And so the people began to get shaken. Well, if we're in the tribulation now, then we must have missed the rapture. Paul says, I don't want you to be shaken in your mind. 
He said, I'm telling you, don't be troubled. And what is he talking about? Don't be troubled in your heart. He says, neither by spirit. And what he's talking about in spirit, notice it's lowercase s and not a capital S speaking of the person of the Holy Spirit. What he's talking about is the spirit of a man. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but Brother David preaches different than I do. Brother Donald preaches different than I do. Brian and Andrew and Matt and everybody and, and people testify different. But that's, there's a spirit there in, in Steve himself, not just the Holy Spirit, but in Steve. I get, I get so excited. I get a little bit different. You know what I mean? I, I get so excited. Sometimes I don't, even, I don't even think about it, and I just keep rambling, 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 just going and going and going because the Spirit of God inside of me is stirring the Spirit of Steve inside of me, and I can't handle it. You know what I mean? And I try to tell everybody, if you would let the Holy Spirit go from outside of you and get inside of you, it would stir you up. And if it doesn't stir you up, then your spoon has fell out of your bowl, and you need to put it back in there, amen? But listen... He says, don't be troubled in your spirit or by another man or another woman's spirit. He said, and don't be troubled by any word. When you know the word of God, you shouldn't let any person's word sway you from what you believe. He says, and don't you even be stirred even by a letter from us. He said, anything at all. He says, I want you to be comforted in the fact of what? The day of Christ is at hand. Some of y'all are going, you're not going to get through with this, Brother Steve. You don't plan on preaching the whole chapter? Yes, and some other books too. You know what it means right here that the day of Christ is at hand? It means it is near. When he says it is at hand, it means it's near. Right? Yeah. When it's at hand, it's kind of like everybody in their cell phones today. Everybody knows where their cell phone's at. Why? Because it's in hand's reach. That's what Paul's saying. The day of Christ is nearer now than it ever was before. Look at this. Let no man deceive you. He says, don't be deceived by the words. He said, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. When you're looking at that scripture, he says, do not be shaken up. Do not be troubled in your spirit. Do not be troubled in a letter or in word or anything else. And let no man deceive you by any means and look at these words. These words in the King James there, they're italicized words, which means that they had to be placed in there for us to understand the meaning. It means that they're not in the original text, but it helps us to understand because we need to know how it flows together. When you look at this, let no man deceive you by any means except there come a falling away first. He says that day's not going to come unless something else takes place. How many times did you read in the Gospels about Jesus and you listen to his words? His mom there at the wedding, Cain of Galilee. You remember that? John chapter number 2, one of the first miracles that he did. You know, and uh, some people think that it was just to keep the party rolling, and that's a bunch of baloney too, right? Uh, he did that miracle to show us and help us understand what salvation actually is. God can take absolutely nothing, and he can turn it into something, and that's what he did with you, amen? And when he did that, do you remember whenever his mom came to him and she said they have, they're without wine? Do you remember what Jesus said? And I like it in the King James probably better than anything. He said, woman, what is that to me? You know what I mean? And, and you know what I mean? I, how many of you would just look at your mom and go, woman, what is that to me? You know what I mean? What, what do I have to do with that? But what did he say? The reason he said that, he says, because mine hour's not yet come. And so God is very strict about timing. God's timing, as you've heard a thousand times, is not your timing. His timing is not our timing, but God is very strict with timing. And what that means is Jesus said, my hour's not yet come. It's not time for people to glorify me and as I glorify my Father. He said, it's not time. But in John 17, he said, Father, the time is now I have glorified your name on earth, and I will glorify it again. He said, the time is now that you would glorify your name. And he said, I've done it, and I will do it. Amen. You think about it, church. In this scripture right here, he says, let no man deceive you. That day will not come until what? Except there come a falling away. Now listen to me. Church, God is not setting up on his throne going, okay, I wonder who's going to not believe in me anymore. God is all-knowing and he's understanding. And just because God has foreknowledge and just because God has foresight in those things, it doesn't mean that God is setting back going, you know, we've made a batch of about 150 and we've got to wait for them to reject me fully. God's not doing that because God doesn't make a batch that record, uh, uh, rejects him. What he's doing is, is that the iniquity and it's called the mystery of iniquity. Did you know that the Bible says that God was, uh, Daniel, excuse me, Daniel and Jeremiah, they were praying that, that the children of Israel would be delivered from the hands of the Babylonians and the Chaldeans. Do you know that as they were praying to be delivered from them, that it says that God told them that day will not be shortened. 
He said it will not be shortened. He told them 70 years are determined, and that is it. He said, I'm not shortening it. And what it was was Daniel was praying, and Jeremiah was praying, but God was saying, no, man, I am not shortening those days. Because why? He said he is waiting for the iniquity of those Babylonians, the iniquity of those Assyrians, the iniquity to do what? Even in the Old Testament, when you go back, he was waiting for the iniquity of the Amorites to be fulfilled. Even God told who told Abraham that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember what Abraham did? Abraham acted as Jesus Christ and began to pray and actually God, please, he interceded for them and he prayed that Lot would be delivered. He prayed that people would be delivered. God, can you find some righteous in there? Can you find this one? Can you find that one? But listen, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah at the time of what? When their iniquity was fulfilled, when their rejection of God was final, then God said, judgment is coming. And that's what he's going to do to this earth. When the iniquity is filled up and when iniquity has finally come to that place where people are rejecting it all and that son, listen, that son of perdition is revealed. In other words, unveiled to everybody. Do you remember what it was? It was talking about how the, the Antichrist would come in that first year and then whenever those three and a half years were finished, he would stand in the temple and declare that he is God. He said, all of these things are going to have to take place. Look, he says the son of perdition. He says the son of perdition is described as this, the one who opposes and exalts himself above God and all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. When the fullness of Satan is wrapped up in the Antichrist, in the body of that beast, of that man, that person that's here, when the fullness of Satan is wrapped up in him and he stands in the, temp in the temple with his head wound as though he is resurrected from that bottomless pit or that abyss and he stands there proclaiming himself one that has conquered the grave and one that has conquered death and that he is God and he should be worshipped. Listen, when that happens, I'm telling you, God is going to unleash all judgment upon this earth. It's going to be finished. It's going to be wiped out. The Bible declares that. Listen, look at this verse. Paul says, remember, you not? Do you not remember? That's what it, in our words says, do you not remember that while I was with you that I told you these things? So what Paul is doing now, he's going over there and he says, I don't want you to be shaken up. You know, I almost called this message to not shaken, not stirred, but I didn't want to use a reference of the uh, uh, 007. You know what I mean? That, uh, the James Bond used to say that all the time. And uh, some of y'all act like y'all don't know that, but I know you people and you knew that already because when I said that, you went... I've heard that phrase before, right? But he's shaken up, and he says, I don't want you to be that way. And he says, why are you that way? He said, do you not remember? Do you not remember the first letter that I wrote you? Do you not remember that while I was with you, I explained these things to you? Why are you letting someone come in that is deceptive and, and evil and a false prophet? Why are you allowing yourselves to be removed from the foundation that you've got? He said, man, you need to hold on to those things. He said, do you not remember that I told you these things? Look at these scriptures. He says, but I would not have you. This is what he told him in 1 Thessalonians 4. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So look at that word. You know what Paul's reminding them of? He's reminding them of the gospel that they believe. What's the gospel? That Jesus Christ died and rose again. What did Paul say about the gospel? He said, I know nothing except that Jesus has been crucified, buried, and three days later he rose from the dead and sent it to the Father. That's the gospel. The gospel is not join my church. The gospel is not get in the baptistry. The gospel is not join my small group and join my Sunday school and join my men's club and my women's club. The gospel is that Jesus died and rose again. And Paul says, do you not remember that I talked to you about those people that have died, those saints that have died before you, those ones that have trusted in Christ and they've died in the recent years and last year or a few months ago? Don't be stirred up and troubled in your heart about worrying if they're, they're dead and if they're going to make it, didn't I remind you that if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that even those also that sleep in Jesus, that have died in Christ, he said God will bring with him. We ought to take comfort in that. He says, for this we say unto you, not by our own word, but by the word of the Lord. That which we are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I love this part. With the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
The voice of the archangel talking about, he was saying that not Jesus is an angel, and Jesus is not an archangel. The Bible says that he is priority above all them, and all things were created by him. Colossians, and all things consist by him. So if he created everything, and angels are created beings, then Jesus is not an angel. Right? And anybody that dies, whether they're a baby, or whether they're papa, or whether they're mama, or anybody else, they're not angels either. They're children of God. They're higher than the angels. Amen. Jesus came to the earth lower than what the angels are. But when he ascended unto the Father, he is above all things. Amen. And when we go up, we'll be better than the angels. Amen. Yeah, you don't need Red Bull to go to heaven. Amen. You don't need all that stuff. People say, oh, I'm going to get my angels wings someday. No, you're not. You're a child of God. You're going to get a crown, not a wing. Amen. Listen. That hymn's firing me up tonight, and y'all ought to get excited. He says, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, right? What is the shout? Hey, he's going to call your name, and the sheep are going to know his voice. He says, with the voice of the archangel, meaning that it's going to be one that penetrates all, amen? Those angels that day that were with those shepherds, as they spoke, it penetrated everything, went to the heart. Jesus is going to speak loud. It says, with the next thing, with the trump of God. That's not Donald Trump. Come on, church. Amen. I know I probably hurt some of y'all's feelings, but listen, it's not. It's, and it's not the first trumpet in Revelation or the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth or the seventh trumpet of wrath in the Bible because he's not delivered us unto the hour of wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. That trump is this. It says in Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1, And I heard the one who spoke with me from the beginning, whose voice was as the voice of a trumpet. Come on. The voice is a voice of a trumpet. And he said what? Come up hither. Yeah, in us uh, today, it's like, come on up. Amen? I've told you a hundred times, I'm so glad it ain't Rowdy Rod Piper that's telling everybody to come on down for the price is right, but we're going on up. Amen? Listen, the Bible says the voice of the archangel, it says with the trump of God, and it says, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. First, amen, they'll go up. Listen, some of y'all are going to be the first ones. Y'all are the deadest bunch I've ever seen. Listen, it says, then we, the rest of us that are excited, you have to go first because you wouldn't be able to beat me if, if, uh, if any other way. Look, it says, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air, uh, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And look at what Paul told them in First Thessalonians. Take these words and comfort your heart. Wherefore, when you're speaking about dead and you're speaking over those graves and you're speaking about the rapture and you're speaking about all this stuff you take comfort in the fact that if you're in Christ and he's in the father that where he is you will be and when you die you will go there amen I can't explain it any other way better than this and this is my basic Thorsby Jemison when my mama passed away this is the way I explained it at her funeral my grandma, my mama was as country as the day is long. And I'm talking about when that phrase is used, you think you know a long day because you work. You don't know a long day until you visit Thorsby, Alabama, and you sit there all day with your grandmother and your pawpaw. They hardly watch TV, and you look at them, you go, what do you want to do? And they go, let's go down and get some roasted chicken. And that's the highlight of the day is going to the Dairy Cream down the road, what's spelled with a K, and you go and get a foot-long chili dog. The highlight of the evening is stopping on the side of the road to pick poke salad and put in a brown paper sack to bring it home and to boil it and makes it smell like the sewage system is backed up in the house. And she looks at you and goes, do you want some? And she's explained to me that this will kill you unless you parboil it. And I was, what's parboiling it as a kid? That means you boil it and drain the water and boil it and drain the water. And you want some of it. No, nope, you can get mine all the parboil. I don't want none of that. Right? I mean, and the closest place to go out and eat was the dairy cream. It was like, good grief. Mom and Dad, I'd, I'd go, I want to go down there and just hang out. And then, and then when I come back, I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm so glad to be back in civilization. Well, my mama passed away. They did gardening. We used to go to Collins Grocery down there and the, all that stuff. Man, they did gardening. I'll never forget, man, it hit me when my mama passed away. Man, I love all my grandparents. I try to keep this. I'm trying to keep it together. But uh, 
Man, I love them all, and when they pass away, I've done all their funerals, and I've always had something special to share about every single one of them. They asked me to do it, and I wouldn't want anyone else to do it because I know them. And so I remember my grandmother and my mamma and uh, my papa, they would go make, you know, garden, and they'd go pick okra, and they'd do all this stuff. And my papa, he, there's times my papa would be angry, and he'd, he'd, beat a, he'd beat a lawnmower up with a sledgehammer one time. Uh, my mamma was all about the storm pit, because down there, there's a lot of storms. And I was trying to think of something, and man, it came to me about the scripture. The Bible says, except the corn of wheat fall into the earth and die, it can't bring forth any fruit. You know what I mean? Except the corn of wheat die. And you know, the Bible tells us that this body is not what's going to be in heaven. It says this body is a body that is a terrestrial body, okay? Uh, not a celestial body. A celestial body is a heavenly body. But this body is, the Bible says, Paul said, it's earthy. It, it, it's bound to the earth. And so even the Bible says that this body will go back to the earth, but the spirit will go to the Lord who gave it, you know, in Ecclesiastes. And I got to thinking about that, man. I got to thinking about what Paul was saying is that this body that we put off, listen, it's not going to be compared to the body that we receive. And when I got to thinking about that, it made me get really happy and excited because I don't know if you've ever sat down to a a plate of okra before. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about that old slimy, bold stuff. You give that to somebody else. You give all that to Craig. Uh, I, I like pickled okra and stuff like that, but man, I love, there's nothing like fried okra. I love, I mean, if you're from the South, everything has to be fried. And you get it fried, it's breaded with that light breading. It's got salt and pepper in it. You know what I mean? And, and, and hopefully they've started it with bacon grease. You know what I mean? Anybody in here understand what real food is? Some of us has been on this kale juice and stuff so long, we don't even understand what real food is. It's the kind of food, I promise you, that if you were to put right here, your tongue would hit the top of your head over and over and over. Man, I, I'll never forget going down there. My mamma made squash and taters and onions and all that stuff. And as a kid, I would go, that is nasty. I ain't eating that. My mama makes squash croquettes. You, can you make squash croquettes? And so she called my mom and told on me. And so ended up eating a foot-long hot dog all the time. But, man, first time I finally got that stuff, I, you can tell I, I liked it. You, you, there's no need to me telling you how much I liked it. You could tell how much I liked it, about 270 pounds worth liking it. And, man, I, was, I got to think about my memo and about being home with the Lord. And, you know, I'm so glad. I'm so glad she never sat down and put a plate of okra seeds on my plate. I don't know about y'all, but y'all look at those things. Those, that you could fit an okra seed inside of a BB gun and put a wound on somebody. Them things are so hard. You know what I mean? You, would not, you wouldn't sit down and eat those seeds, would you? No. No, but you plant that seed. And when that seed dies, and then all of a sudden that seed, as it dies, what happens? After the seed dies, it has life again. And then, and then when it has life again, it sprouts up. When it comes up, it comes up to a big old ochre plant. And then you take your old good case pocket knife out and go out there and start plucking that stuff. And then she takes it and washes it. You ain't got to parboil okra, thank God. It don't kill you, amen. But you need to clean it up. And then you cut it up, put some meal in there, and you fry it up. No, but you eat that. That's what Paul was trying to share with them. He's trying to share with them, listen, the body that was put in the grave, listen, that's not going to be compared to the one that comes out, amen. One that comes out is going to be better. The one that comes out is going to be a body that's painless, going to be sinless, amen. It's going to be spotless. It's going to be wonderful. Mine may have hair, amen. Listen, man, it's awesome. We're going to go quick through this right here. So Paul says, why don't you remember all that? You know what I mean? I wonder if Paul ever preached it like that. Surely you would remember that. Surely you would hold on to that. But Paul said a false prophet has come in and tried to deceive you from holding on to that foundation. He said, don't believe that. Don't be shaken in your heart and in your mind and troubled in your heart. And don't be moved by spirit or leather or any of that stuff. He's like, remember the things that I told you. And now look at what he says. He goes on and he says, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. It says, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. That seems very hard to understand. What God is saying right here, it says that God's timeline and his revealing is actually in his time. So don't get ahead of God and don't get behind God. Wait on God and what he's going to 
do in your life. Too many times we, especially men, we get in and we, we got something going on. We're trying to get ahead of God. We're trying to fix it all. We're trying to do it all. And we're getting ahead of him. Or sometimes we're just procrastinators and we're just lagging back and stuff. We need to wait on the hand and the timing of God. And looking at this scripture right here, he says the mystery of iniquity is working already now. He's, what he's saying is, is the Antichrist in 1 John chapter 3, he's already working. The spirit of Antichrist is moving in this world. He said it's deceiving people and it's wickedness that's coming in. But it says something that's great right here. He says, but only now he who letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. This is not talking about till the son of perdition is taken out of the way. This is talking about the Holy Spirit of God. You say, what do you mean? Brother David, what's happening right now, the Antichrist and that spirit of Antichrist can do nothing the Antichrist can do nothing, and it ain't God's approval. It's not God's approval that the Antichrist is waiting for because God does not approve wickedness. Even the Bible teaches us in Ecclesiastes that he does not wish that the wicked would perish. Even in the New Testament, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. It's not God sitting back going, yes, I'm going to let it, 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 and they're working together. What it is is that spirit of Antichrist is that dragon that's ready to devour and to kill the remnant of the people of Christ, right? The people of God. He's ready to devour us up. But the the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God and God's will is in front of Satan and what he desires to do. And Brother Bill, he's like, you can't do anything. I like that about the Lord. I don't know if y'all do, but I like it about the Lord. You can't do anything. Listen, Elijah looked and told Jezebel that she was going to be killed and that she was going to be uh, eat up and the blood would be licked up by the dogs. And it happened. But I wonder how many days that Jezebel thought, that ain't going to happen to me. I'm going to kill Elijah. I'm going to kill Elijah. That's what the Antichrist is doing. He's coming in and he's trying to destroy and trying to destroy. But God's Holy Spirit right now, listen to me. He's saying, you can't. No, no. Why? Because I think of Abraham and I think of Lot. God, if there's 10 righteous. God, if there's 20 righteous. God, if there's 30 righteous. Now, I know that you sometimes get to thinking that you're the only Christian left on this whole earth. But evidently, there are more. Because the Holy Spirit is not letting the Antichrist come in yet and to devour and to do all those things because the Holy Spirit's standing away. And the Holy Spirit, by the way, is living in you and me. Amen. Amen. Listen, here's the other thing. We're going to go quick through this. It says, when the Holy Spirit's taken out of the way, what happens? Then that wicked one, look, then shall that wicked be revealed, that capital, that Antichrist, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the work of Satan and all power and signs and lying wonders. Talking about Satan and the Antichrist will all be destroyed. Look at verse 10. And with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish. Look at these words. People perish and suffer the judgment of God and suffer what? The devourment of the devil and the Antichrist. They suffer. Why? Look at the word. Because they receive not the love of truth. Because why? They wouldn't let it in here. They wouldn't let it through here. They would not heed to what the gospel was saying and the truth. What, why is it called that? Look at the words with me one more time. They received not what? The love of the truth. What does that mean? The truth of God sending his son to die on a cross for you, resurrected so that you may live. They would not receive the greatest love story ever told. And if they would have received the greatest love story, Brother Clay, what does it say? It says that they might be saved. It says right here they didn't receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So because they didn't receive it. Now listen, I'm telling you something. I get fiery angry when people want to talk to me about why God would send somebody to hell. Why does God do all this stuff? I'm telling you, church, that is wrong thinking. We have a book written from front to back about a God who has pursued people in sin, the whole 66 books. We have a Bible that is written about God sending men, God sending women, God sending prophets, God sending what? His own son in the flesh, God doing all of these things. It's not a book of a God that's going, you get to go to hell, and you're dying and going to hell, and you're going to hell, and you're going to hell. And God's standing up there as a mean dictator. God is not. He has not the heart of Hitler. He has not the heart of, of, of any of those uh, 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 religious leaders back in the old days like Nebuchadnezzar or, or any of them, even Cyrus that may have been good to the children of Israel. God is greater than Cyrus. He's not sitting on his throne going, oh, you just go away. No, he is sitting there. And if you look at these words, Brother Craig, he is sitting there every day reaching for them, and they won't receive it. 
They won't receive it. And all they got to do is take it. All they got to do is just come and receive what God has had laid out for them in salvation, and they won't. And so the Bible says, for this reason, God shall send them strong delusion that they shall believe a lie. And you say, well, what do you mean? What it is is that if people continue to reject it and they don't receive it, it's not that God ordains or makes them go. What happens is, is Romans chapter 1 is fulfilled in that moment. When you continue to reject God and continue to reject God, then what happens? You begin to go deeper into sin and into sin and into sin. If you read the book of Romans chapter number 1, you'll see these people that the first thing they did was not homosexuality, as some people make it out to be. That's not what happened first. They took the truth of God and turned it into a lie. That's the very first thing that happened. Anyone that goes into sin, no matter if it's homosexuality, no matter if it's adultery, no matter if it's drunkenness, no matter if it's fornication, no matter if it's lying or stealing, no matter what, they took the truth of God and turned it into a lie. They begin to worship the creation of God more than the creator of the creation, and therefore, what began to happen? Their eyes and their hearts were darkened, and their foolish minds were darkened, and just like Pharaoh turning the truth of God into a lie, what happened? Darkness and darkness and darkness and darkness and darkness and darkness until eventually Romans chapter 1 says that God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That does not say God turned them into a reprobate. God made them a reprobate. It says God gave them up to do what they wanted. That is not a God. That is a dictator. That is a sovereign God who could make you love him who could make you and force you to love him. But that is a God that says, are you sure that's what you want? How about my son? Are you sure that's what you want? How about he gave his life for you? And then eventually when you say, leave me alone, you know what God does? He leaves you alone. And the reprobate mind means that their heart has been seared, just like a hot iron. And they're seared. And what that means is, it's no more. They have sealed the lid and they won't let him in. What does that scripture say, church? Listen, we're going to go, I promise. What does it say? It says that they wouldn't receive him. Now what does it say? God sent them strong delusion. Why? Look at that word. Because they didn't believe. And God says because of their reprobate heart, belief. You know, I have, I have pastors that, that, man, some of them I get along with and some of them I don't. It's fine. I get along with everybody. Don't, don't take me wrong. I'm not like, you know. Don't like this one, don't like that one. But there are some things that I don't agree with with some pastor, for even friends of mine, some of the things that they teach. There's one book that's out that I absolutely just despise, and I won't tell you who the author is, and I know that you'll know by the title and stuff, you can go look it up, but it's called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. And there's this theory that's going around trying to tell everybody that what we did years ago in ask, telling people and telling children and telling young, young people, when they believe, ask Jesus into your heart. Ask him in your heart that he'll save you. And now we've been labeled as some kind of heretic because we've been telling everybody to ask Jesus into our heart and to do all that. Well, the Bible does teach us that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10, for if you shall believe with the heart, the Lord Jesus, you know, you believe inside, amen, that God raised him from the dead. What does it say? Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It, with your mouth, it proves the salvation that you got when you believed it in your heart, Amen. But a lot of people are going, well, stop doing that. You're asking people to believe and all this stuff, and it's really not about belief. And then you have other people that go, well, even the demons believe, you know what I mean? So you, it, it's not by believing alone. You've got to do something in order to be saved. That, that's not scripturally right. You don't have to do something to be saved. If you have to do something to be saved, then you've earned your salvation, and it's no more a gift. It is no more of grace if it's by works, right? And so the gift is, it's a free gift of God that you accept him by what? Believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins. But the scripture teaches is that you believe on the Lord Jesus. And what that means is you're falling on him. I was going to do the illustration where you fall back in my arms. I'm really tired and don't want to do that tonight. But hopefully you understand what I'm saying. Is that you rest, you fall on the Lord and you're saying, I believe on you. You say, well, what's that like, Brother Steve? It's like standing before a judge and him declaring you guilty of all of your things and all of the charges 
brought against you. And then all of a sudden, your, your lawyer or whoever there, your advocate, tells you that you need to fall on your face to the mercy of the court. That's falling on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, hey, you come to me and trust in me and believe in me, then therefore you shall have life. Have life. What does it say? He that believeth on the Son of God hath life. Amen. It says to him that believe, he gave the power to become the sons of God. And so the Bible says it's by belief. And so if it's by belief, you got to understand, when you don't believe, then you're going to believe a lie. So it's not that God's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to set these people up, and I've got dominoes and all this stuff. No, what it is is that because they didn't receive it, then therefore when God gave them over to that reprobate mind, then Satan, the Antichrist, that comes in, they'll believe all the lies that are told there. Look at the next verse. and We'll go home. I know you all are getting tired. I, I, I'm like the Energizer Bunny. I could go all the time. Look at what it says. They would believe a lie. They didn't receive. They believe a lie. Look at this word. Here it is again. It says that they all might be damned who what? Believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There it is again. The word, you've got to believe. The Bible says, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. Look at this. And belief of the truth. It says God has chosen you. So, all right, Brother Steve, well, then God selected you. God chose you out of a group of people, so therefore you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, and God picked you out of that kind of bunch. Don't even say out loud what you're thinking right now. I know what some of y'all are thinking of who God is choosing, but I, that God is not your thoughts. And All right, anyway, look at the Scripture. It says, we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Listen, everybody wants to get wrapped up on that one phrase right there where it says God's chosen you to salvation. Think that God's speaking just to you, Keith, or just to you, David, or just to you, Ross, that God has chosen you unto salvation. But if you understand this whole scripture, you will know that God, he said what? He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Not brother, but brethren, all of you. God chose all of them. God's chosen all of the people of this earth to be saved. But what this scripture is doing is not talking about the ones that are chosen in that salvation. He's saying God has chosen us all to have salvation, but he's given us a means to where we've got to believe. That you, too many times we, we, we cut, copy, and paste, and we cut that one line out that God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation, and we, don't for, we forget that there's words added to that. The words that are added to that actually bring meaning to what he's saying in the beginning, right? And what is he saying? God's chosen us to salvation. In other words, he's moved and given us salvation to receive, to believe, right? How? For what? Sanctification of the Spirit of God and the belief in the truth. What happens the day that you get saved? The Holy Spirit of God starts stirring up on you. Many people say, my heart starts beating fast. I'm telling them that's the Holy Ghost of God. He's got a hold of you. If your heart's not beating fast, God's got you squeezing you. Amen? And what happens is, is that we are saved by the sanctification. It's a work of the Holy Spirit of God. It's the work of God the Father, but it works in us because of one reason, Brother David. Why? Because we believed the truth. And when we believed it, we received it. And when we received it, we also received the Holy Ghost at the same time. When we receive the Holy Ghost, we get a little bit excited. Right? You don't have to be Pentecostal to get excited about the Holy Ghost. But when we received it, we got it. And so that's what he's saying. We get hung up on this choosing and chosen and picking and all that stuff. God says, I've chosen you all to be saved by one means. That's Jesus Christ and what he did through the Holy Spirit and the sanctification through the Spirit. And it all wraps up in your belief. You say, how do you know that? Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8 and verse number 9 says that you are saved, what? By grace. Through faith. Not of yourselves. You know what I mean? You're saved by faith. It's, it's not yourselves. It's not works. It's through the grace of God. It's not of yourselves. But in verse 10 it says, you were created in the Lord Jesus Christ unto good works. Amen. Listen, here's the last thing. God's called you out by the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's where the message is. I know uh, people tell me all the time, don't, you know, don't worry about how long you preach, stuff like that, but... Um, Next time it happens, I'm, I'm going to let you come on the stage and look at the faces that I see whenever I'm preaching along. Because uh, you wouldn't believe what I see. Look at, look at this. The Bible says a good foundation. You know what Paul says? God tells us in verse 15, he says, then stand. God says a good foundation. He said, stand on it. Stand on the good foundation. He says, therefore, brethren. And you know what, you know what it means, therefore? Because I believe Paul was an excited preacher, too. I know that they looked at him, and he didn't have much I mean, he didn't have the, the looks and the, the beauty that I have. Um, it, 
Y'all laugh at that? That's what it said. It says that he was not fair to look upon, and I am fair to look upon. Patty's told me before. Well, y'all stare at me every service. Some of you. Paul, I believe, gets excited when he's writing these letters. And he gets, look, Paul gets all this information. And man, he has bundled this information together. He started out by saying, listen to me, church. And he says, I want you to understand what was the two things he wanted you to understand. The coming of the Lord Jesus and our gathering together unto him. And then he said this big, long stuff to help remind them. And then what did he do? He says, therefore. And what that means is this right here in Steve's words. Now that I've told you all of that, stand fast. Now that you hear that and you've heard that, stand on it. You know, it, it's, it's like God is telling you, you're going to have to get this word in you. You can't just hear it. You're going to have to get it in you. And you're going to have to receive it. And when you receive it, then you stand on it. Because it's firm and it's sure. Look at the second thing in that scripture that he says, hold on to it. He says, stand on it. And then he says, hold on to it. He says, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or our epistle. He said, hold on to it. You know what? The reason that so many of us are battling and we get, uh, as Paul said, shaken up and troubled in our hearts and shaken in our minds because we're not taking this in every day. And we're, we're just kind of going through it. When we read it, we just read it and we get it. And you're not taking it with you. That's what the word meditation means is that in, in country terminology, it's like a cow chewing on the cud. It, it, it's sticking in the jaw and they just eat on it all day and all day and all day and all day. And they're receiving off of it. When you read your Bible every day, get a good scripture Get a good understanding of one scripture instead of 50. Get an understanding of one scripture and feed on that all day. And watch God open your eyes to things using that one scripture every day. And hold on to it. Hold on to it. When times come of storms, then hold on to that. Here's the other thing. He says, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us. This is a scripture I want you to hold on to. I'm going to give you two other things and I'm done. But I want you to hold on to this scripture. Look at what it says. Who has loved us and hath given us, it's my favorite part, an everlasting consolation and a good hope through grace. Amen. Not Coleman, but a good hope through grace. Look at it. God's given you an everlasting consolation. And he's given you good hope of grace. God's given you that. You ought to take that tonight. Put it in your pocket. Walk around tomorrow and just think on that. Think on what God's done for you. And you know what will happen? This will happen. Your heart will be comforted. Inside, you'll start going, you know what, God, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for the establishment and that everlasting consolation that you bring me. I'm so thankful for the good hope that you've given me. And Paul says, so you should comfort your heart in this. You know, we don't get a whole lot of comfort in worldly things. We don't get a whole lot of comfort in temporary things. But we can get comfort in the Word of God. And the last one is this. He says that he wants you to be established. Look at the last verse again. He says, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work. He says, I'm praying that God would do all of this stuff in your life. And then you know what happens? Then we understand that that wonderful good foundation, it's not really a good foundation. It's actually a God foundation. It's actually one where God comes together and here we are and we're like, all right, Lord, we're good. It, it's not that we stand on good things is that we stand on godly things. Amen. Let's pray. Fathers, we come to you and uh, thanking you for the message and thank you for the way.